Ladies and gentlemen, AU citizen, welcome to AU on the go. This is Loic Youth. AU on the go. AU on the go. To inform on developments of the Commission. Pour informer sur les développements de la Commission. To engage and discuss AU policies and their impacts. Involver et discuter les politiques de l'AU et ses impacts. And of course, interact with our listeners on the continent and beyond. Pour être en fait, j'ai mis à un haut le corps de l'Afrique et le AU on the go. AU on the go. Culture is defined as the ideas, customs, and social behavior of particular people or society. It is often visible through the lifestyles we lead, so it is no surprise that our understanding of different cultures is shaped through different interactions, most notably in travel and the workplace. But what happens when you leave your country and grow up in a country that becomes your home, and then you return to your country of origin? How do those individuals, the diasporas, readapt to their own yet new culture when they return? In our conversation, we will look at a cultural adaptation of two ladies who lived and grew up in liberal societies, but now work in a more conservative culture. Let's see how it was adapting to a new work culture for Zuhur, who's a redevelopment consultant, and Bilan, who works for a non-profit organization. AU on, AU on the go. I grew up in Holland, in Amsterdam, in a small town actually close to Amsterdam. And then when I was 18, I moved to London to uh, do an exchange program there. I think that's when I got the bug of traveling. After that, I wanted to move again. I, I returned back to Holland. Uh, and at the age of 23, I moved to New York for an internship. The internship was at the Dutch consulate in New York, where I was able to stay longer because I requested a job. And luckily, I was able to get it. So I ended up staying almost two years, where I then returned back to the Netherlands to graduate and started working again at the bank where I always used to work, ING Bank. And then at one point, I decided to go back to the motherland <laughs> with my dad, which was just a two-month vacation. But in those two months I saw so many things and so many opportunities and I actually enjoyed it so it made me want to return and bring back knowledge to help with the redevelopment which is what I do now I am a redevelopment consultant sounds like a lot of traveling yeah, yeah it does right <laughs> and myself I kind of grew up a little bit all over born and raised in Addis Ababa but a majority of my life spent traveling a little bit in Europe Geneva Switzerland the early years of my life and then to New York, so what and I have that common. And then New York for a few years after New York, moving back to Ethiopia with my family. And I've always been around a sort of, you know, diaspora cultural community. So for me, growing up in Africa, growing up and exposed to different parts of the world is something that always piqued my interest of, you know, seeing the cultural aspect of different people, which was a great thing for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when did you move back to Somaliland? Somaliland was about a year and a half ago now. And I never thought I would see myself saying that. Mm -hmm. When I moved there, my idea was to move there and be there for a year. And now I catch myself saying, I'm here indefinitely. So, we'll see. (laughs) So, growing up in all these different liberal cultures and moving back to a place where it's a lot more conservative, how was that at first? I think for me it wasn't that difficult because luckily I've I've always had the opportunity to travel back with my parents. We've always traveled every other year back to to Somaliland to to visit family and you know to to see how the country is doing and and to just for my mom especially to be back home. So that switch for me wasn't that difficult, but when it comes to work, it was more difficult. I had to get used to a lot of different ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. And next to that, being a, a younger female, 
educated younger female who comes in in a different work environment, it can be kind of threatening to certain people. They, especially people that are in higher positions, they might feel threatened, thinking, "Oh, look at this younger lady who thinks she knows it all because she's educated in a foreign country." So just adapting to that and and making sure that there's an understanding between the two of us. I had to learn that. So, I mean, that was just the most difficult part for me. I think patience is key when it comes to making that transition. You're going to be met with a lot of challenges, as my friend Sahur was saying. It's, It's challenging as a woman in particular, moving to a conservative part of the world. And... Even though it's a culture that we're used to, that we're from, those challenges for women, like being undermined, can be extremely testing Mm -hmm. on your will. And I think patience is a big part of transitioning. And I think both of us, if I can speak for both of us, we really learned how to be patient individuals (laughs) being in a conservative part of the world. But I think it's a great attribute to have, and it has taught us many things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Any examples? I'll let you take this one. (laughs) I mean, to give an example, I I work at uh, government institutions where I consult, and uh, that means that I deal with people in higher positions sometimes as well. They might sometimes just undermine whatever you have to say. Like, they don't mean it on purpose, but it's just something that they're used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, To give an example, they they might give you like a little nickname, like Suhuria, (laughs) which means... uh, Little Zuhuri. Little Mm -hmm. Zuhuri. Which is actually meant endearing, right. but then in a work environment, you don't yeah. want to it's, hear that. It's you, a bit belittling. Exactly, yeah. you know, um, especially when other people are sitting there who don't know what the work relationship is mm-hmm. and uh, if they mean it endearing or if they are trying to be undermining. Right. So mm-hmm. just uh, that, for example, was quite challenging. And I had to learn to tell a person in a very normal and polite way to never say that again in right. public. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the whole aspect of constantly trying to prove yourself to people not just in work alone but outside of work as well I think that that's a lot of the the challenges that we face is that you're undermined not only in a work environment but as a woman you're undermined in other aspects daily life and it's it's a little bit challenging again patience I think is a huge thing but one of the things that I think it's taught both of us is being patient really helps us listen to people, listen to what they're saying and how we can actually connect with them, I think is something that really has been great. That's advice right there for you ladies. Listen to them, listen to them. (laughs) So, Bilan, you were telling me about, you know, there's not really a lot of female photographers. Mm -hmm. And when, like, you go to weddings, it's kind of different for the lady because, obviously, they can't take off the hijab and all that. Right. So, and you were trying to get into that. Mm-hmm. So tell me more about it. Um, so for me, something that I realized being in Somaliland and Hargeisa is that there's not a lot of craft culture. There's not a lot of creative culture in that sense that young people don't necessarily use their creative outlets in a way that I, at least, would like to see it be used in Somaliland because I think Somali people in general are very creative. Myself, I love photography, and I constantly try and catch my friends off guard, Zuhud knows, (laughs) constantly using her as a model as well. But it's a little bit difficult, again, coming into that, that cultural aspect like you were saying with photography, women are a little bit caught off guard or not as welcoming as men would be for subjects to shoot because that whole cultural, religious aspect comes in, they're feeling uncomfortable, and it can be a little bit trying, definitely. But it's something that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so how do you 
think you can go about getting more women to express themselves, try out these different things. I think the beautiful thing about photographing people is getting comfortable with them. And again, I think that aspect of patience comes in where you're trying to get to know the person. You're trying to get to know them and make them feel comfortable in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. And I think with women in particular, it's great to just make them feel how they are generally outside of that little environment with the photography because Somali women are very confident, confident women. And just bringing out that confidence, I think, um, finding and connecting with them in that aspect. Yeah. So you said when you first moved, you said you didn't see yourself staying for that long. So what has kept you there longer than you expected? The people. And I think Zahud would say that as well, right? The yeah, people are, yeah. are really, really, really charming in their own way. <laughs> but in a beautiful way. Plus, I think it feels, it feels good to be back in an environment and a culture that you are familiar with. Mm-hmm. But also being close to family feels good. And being able to do something back again, that was for me... A main main thing because that was the entire reason why I decided to move back because I wanted to bring back knowledge so I tried to with every little project that I, I do I try to make sure that it has something to do with giving back not whether it be knowledge or just raising awareness or just making sure that people know that there are other options out there than trafficking going you know to Europe because they think Europe is where the gold is right. when it's really not when they are actually on that sitting on it's that right gold in front themselves of you. exactly so um, for me that was the main objective to to stay mm-hmm. and still is my main objective to stay mm-hmm. so yeah Right. In Somaliland, you see a lot of youth who are trying to go to Europe, trying to go to America, trying to do anything in their power to leave. But then you see a lot of diaspora coming back and invest in the region, which I think is phenomenal. And every time both of us meet locals and we're interviewing them and we're talking to them through work, through just social life, one of the things that both of us also really attest to is trying to get them to realize the beauty in their own country and the beauty of Africa. Definitely, yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much, ladies. It was a very, very good conversation. Thank, thank you. you. AU on the go. And if you didn't know, these ladies' journeys and aspirations mirror Aspiration 6 from the African Union's Agenda 2063, which seeks an Africa where development is people-driven, unleashing the potential of its women and youth. So ladies out there, you have potential. Don't be scared to express yourselves and break boundaries. So once again, thank you to Bilan and Suhur for opening up on their respective journeys. And thank you all for tuning in to yet another episode of AU on the Go. A special thanks to my audio producer, Ernest Kaliza, and from the CEDO team and iLoic Youth. See you next time. AU on the Go. AU on the Go. To inform on developments of the Commission. Pour informer sur les développements de la Commission. To engage and discuss AU policies and their impacts. Involver et discuter les politiques de l'AU et ses impacts. And of course, interact with our listeners on the continent and beyond. AU on the go. AU on the go.